Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Good evening and welcome to Thorne and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Before we introduce our guest tonight, um, I just got to tell you that our Ravencrest saga novels are on sale this month. And tonight we'd like to take, tell you a little bit about the latest in the series, which is called Exorcism. And because she's so much better at it than I am, here's Tamara to tell you a little about it. Well, this is going to be fun because my cat is still trying to chew on my hand. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, you that. scream. That's okay. <laughs> That's right. It's just sound effects. Something evil is stirring in the deep, dark waters of the estate's indoor pool as ghostly jazz age parties fill the air with phantom music and laughter. Within the mansion, a maid is visited nightly by a demon lover, and Governess Belinda Moreland is haunted by the tormented spirit of Violet LeBlanc Manning, a silent movie star who was driven mad in her prime by her psychopathic husband and wants Belinda to help her in her search for justice. Since arriving at Ravencrest Manor to serve as governess to Eric Manning's children, Belinda has faced ghosts and witches, love and terror, and now in Exorcism, book three of the Ravencrest saga, she comes face to face with the most chilling evil of all, an insane ancestral spirit who wishes to live again, and the soul-hungry demon he calls forth from the very depths of hell to help him fulfill his craven desires. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, the Ravencrest Saga Exorcism, as well as books one and two, Ghosts of Ravencrest and the Witches of Ravencrest, are all available in paper and ebook on Amazon. We're also in the midst of releasing new episodes of the fourth Ravencrest Saga novel called Shadowland. Uh, we release Ravencrest in serial form first, so you can download parts one and two and three, actually one, two, and three today. Uh, the Ravencrest Saga is your one-stop shop for witches, ghosts, mystery, history, and lots of family secrets. So if Gothic is your thing, check it out. Uh, you're listening to Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarathorne.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com, or if you tweet, our handles are at CrossAlistair and at Thorne. You can visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook, or if you Instagram, you can find us at, at Thorn and Cross or on my own Instagram account, which is official underscore Alistair Cross. Makes me feel official. For more information <laughs> on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, tonight we are joined by one of our favorite returning guests who has a new book she's going to tell us all about. Uh, actress, playwright, and author Leanna Renee Heber is the award-winning best-selling author of gothic Victorian fantasy novels for adults and teens. Her latest acclaimed series, The Spectral City, has been a number one bestseller across several genres and platforms. She is the third in the series, A Summoning of Souls. Her books have been translated into many languages and have been selected for multiple book club selections. A proud member of Performing Union's Actors' Equity and SAG-AFTRA, she lives in New York 
City, where she is a licensed ghost tour guide and has been featured in film and television on shows like Boardwalk Empire. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our favorite gothic diva, Leanna Renee Heber. Uh, welcome to the show, Leanna. How are you tonight? I am so thrilled to be with you. Thank you so much. And I'm also excited for your next Ravencrest installment. Oh, oh thank you. We are too. <laughs> we always get excited. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, we were talking a little bit before the show, and uh, I was saying uh, – uh, I was I saw you on television the other day. I have TV on and I I don't watch a lot of it. I just you know I, I like background noise or whatever. And I just happened to be walking by and I'm like, hey, <laughs> it's, it's Leanna. And the thing is, 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 I know it was you, of course, because yeah, I'm unmistakable. But but you know I have so many pictures of you. This is really weird. I guess we're I'm kind of stuck on that way because I created the right <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> Someone's a returning guest. I just keep their pictures on my computer. So I have so many pictures of you as your books. On my <laughs> That's <computer>. weird. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, it is. I know. So now how could I love it. You? But anyway, I, love it. I, was, I was walking guys, by and I saw you, you on TV. You guys are allowed to have pictures of me. It's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he he has pictures of guys too. It's okay. He's not yeah. as strange as it sounds. <laughs> But he mostly has cat pictures, so I don't know. That's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think it was, it must have been like a, a ghost show. And you said that you thought it was mysteries at the museum, maybe. Yes, yes, it was. Um, there, there was a piece I did for mysteries at the museum. It's the Kennedy wedding disaster episode, and they brought me in to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is Victorian spiritualism. And I was talking about the Eddie brothers who were fraud spiritualists and how they managed their magic. And I did a whole segment and they used a couple of different segments. So there was another, um, uh, another show um, that sort of was related to Mysteries at the Museum that they also used some of that footage from. So it was a great time. I was in this cool set um, with all these weird, you know, creepy artifacts around me. And they basically just, you know, told me to talk about my favorite things. So they, I just, you know, like wind me up and let me go. And I'll just talk about Victorian <laughs> occultism for hours and hours. So um, I was thrilled to get a chance to do that because it was such a great chance uh, on a different platform to talk about the stuff that's all up in my novels. So it was kind of, oh, it was great. definitely fun to be a, like a talking head on a on a like a documentary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, it was it was really cool. I I like I like seeing you and I yeah, and and you're you're fun because you you dress Victorian and I know I bring that up every time but uh if people aren't uh um if if they're not familiar with it and they're listening uh for the first time it's I think I find that fascinating. I I love the fact that you 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 dress Victorian always. Yeah, I do. And it's a thing that I, you know, people ask me why. And I just, it's this whole Victorian Gothic aesthetic um, has been something I've been drawn to since I was a child. And I, I believe in past lives because it's the only way I can really explain why in the world some modern Mm -hmm. girl from rural Ohio in the middle of nowhere would have an odd familiarity with eight, you know, (laughs) late 1880s London and Paris. It's just a, it's a strange thing. And I was so drawn to it in ways that were, I was preternaturally drawn to the era. And so dressing, at least in some semblance of the era, 
um, not complete authentic stuff because you know uh, we're we're yeah. we're all <laughs> too large to fit. They were tiny people. Uh, I am not that tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some sort of <laughs> modern assemblage of of Victorian esque stuff, stuff that makes me look a bit like a walking anachronism. It makes me feel like I'm closer to the era that I truly feel I was born to write about. Nice. Fascinating. Nice. I love it. I love it. Do you? Do you do you um do you get a lot of questions like when you go out or is it just something that I mean you're in you're in New York and so there's a lot of people there so I would imagine and people in New York tend to just kind of keep to themselves but that's so striking do people yeah. uh, come up and and ask you about it Yeah I do get questions about it because people think I'm coming from some sort of production or they think that I you know was involved in some sort of theatrical thing um I don't get a lot of comments because you're right. Um, New Yorkers tend to keep to themselves, um, but I'll definitely get looks um, on the subway, uh, whatever. When I'm, you know, got my regalia on in the subway. Um, <laughs> uh, not these days, right now, because I'm not. I'm not taking transit at the moment, but um, but uh, everybody's sticking to themselves. But um, I, I won't have any problems out and about in, in morning veils uh, and keeping my distance. Um, right. But. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's 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 fun to talk with people about. It. It's actually a great icebreaker when I'm at a convention. Whenever we go back to doing conventions again, um, when I'm in, dressed in my full regalia, I tell people, if you like my clothes, you'll like my books. I dress like I write, and it's a nice. great way into my work because as an actress, you know, I am drawn to sort of living and playing in the era and so I you know call me a bit method I guess but <laughs> by extending that yeah. wardrobe but you know I'm a goth I, I'm you know I'm a goth girl this is just you of course you yeah. wear a corset to the club I mean that's what you do so right. you know and right. and of course I, I vary it up you know I am not in full like I'm not in full regalia every single second of the day but I do have some sort of piece uh, some sort of look uh, like a three piece kind of a vest a blouse, um, chokers and cameos, indications of that time period because for me it grounds me to to my calling and my purpose and then other people that like that kind of stuff too, we just get to bond over a similar aesthetic. Nice. Wow. I love it. Now you said you, you grew up in Ohio and you're now in New York City. Um, I love New York City. It's It's from the mm-hmm. time you know, preternaturally drawn to, you know, Victorian era. I was born, I was born drawn in that same way to New York City. How did you end up in New York City? Well, I knew I wanted to go to a metropolitan place and my contacts just inevitably landed me in New York. I toured around the country in the regional theater circuit doing Shakespeare for a long time. I'm a trained actress Uh first and foremost and writing kind of came along as a parallel profession. And when I joined um, the Actors Union, Actors' Equity, that's at a level where you really want to be in a big city for theater. And the biggest city for theater is New York City. And it's also the center of the publishing industry. And I knew that I needed contacts and networking that I didn't have from my acting field. I needed to supplement my writing life with um, other network and contacts that that the city could provide both theatrically as well as in publishing and it was the closest thing I could get and that I could 
manage um, to being in a city like London or Paris and my other cities. New York called to me similarly as it did to you because there was such an exchange in the 19th century between major metropolitan hubs around the world. And so New York really also has a lot of Victorian 19th century history. And the minute I moved here, I started training for my tour guide's license because I wanted to learn the history of the city. And I knew that would help me both as an additional career path and side job as I was trying to hustle my novels as well. And it ended up being this great choral um, uh, career path that helped in all of my research for all of my latest novels because I, I shifted into writing pretty exclusively about New York for the past many series, which I've really enjoyed um, focusing on uh, this diverse and vibrant city that, especially in the 19th century, was so full of change, a dramatic change, yeah. and it was really right. compelling. Sure. Right now, wow. um, I, I, you said your 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 uh, tour guide license. This is interesting to me. I've been on a lot of tours, especially ghost tours. I love them, and it, you know, it never occurred to me that that I just never thought about it that that you would yeah. get a license for that. I, I had mm-hmm. no idea. Um, how, how does that work? How do you you said get trained for your your tour guide license? How do what do you what does that mean? So- <laughs> It's, well, it's, there, it's sort of twofold. One, um, New Yorkers love to talk, and New Yorkers will also talk shit if they are not, like, <laughs> if they are not sort of um, corralled into trying to tell a certain amount of the truth. And so there is, a, there is an exam you have to pass. It's a really long 500-some question exam. Wow. And... My the tour company that I uh, got a, a training, basically like a pre-trial job with, helps you through the training process and gives you textbooks and things to study up on it. And thankfully, it was you know I really excelled in the historical aspects of it because again that's my favorite stuff, and mm-hmm. and took to a lot of that information pretty quickly. So I didn't have any trouble passing the test. Another reason why New York does it is because it's another way they can collect money and income and revenue from the Department of Consumer Affairs. So ah, if, yeah. if New York can find a way to license things, they will, they will do it. <laughs> so, um, but I also feel like it's probably good that you want to test New Yorkers about which is the Chrysler Building and which is the Empire State Building. I mean, I know you think everybody knows, but it's, you'd be surprised mm-hmm. at how many people, you know, <laughs> mix things up and think that they know the right answer about things. So I found wow. that really helpful because it, it helped me, you know, with areas of interest that I wouldn't have thought out on my own. And it's stuff that I do get right. asked about. So it's uh, and also you have a you know a license around your neck that makes you look official. Need to be set right. for that too. Um, you look right. you look more official when you've got a, a license <laughs> that you have, and you know it it basically says yeah you're legit. Um, I don't get approached as much you know um, uh, when I don't have my tour guide's license on. When I do have it on, I look like some sort of authority. And so I get a lot more questions asked from, you know, people who are, <laughs> haven't come on my tour, but they just see that I have a license. And they're like, oh, oh, where, how do I do this? How do I get here? Um, so I take it off immediately nice. when I'm done so that I'm <laughs> off the clock. <laughs> Great. Nice. 
Now, your yeah. latest your latest book is called A Summoning of Souls. Uh, great title, by the way. And yeah, it's from the, sure. the Spectral City series. So uh, what can you tell us, I guess, first about the series and then specifically the latest uh, release? Thank you. Well, I love this series. It's Aside from my Strangely Beautiful series, which was my first series of books, I have to say this is one of my favorite series I've ever written. And it's a, it is a trilogy, and it's a complete trilogy. If I continue this series, it'll be on a slightly different trajectory, probably novellas, kind of serialized, like uh, similar to what you guys are doing with serialized installments. I think I'm going to do that with some mm-hmm. of the side characters. But as cool. the, nice. the, the Spectral City series as it stands is going to be this complete trilogy, and it's been a great uh, exploration for me. I started this series with the question of how can I reexamine a ghost story in a new way, and I wanted to focus on friendly ghosts and a camaraderie of ghosts and ghosts that were helping the living solve crimes and have all of the hallmarks of a fun ghost story with some jump scares and some startling things and eerie spooky stuff, but have from a very positive and friendly ghost perspective and still have the chill one would expect from a historical suspense and a, and a Gothic novel as all of us are, are Gothic enthusiasts and we we're all very informed by Gothic in your work and in mine, Gothic tropes are driving what we do and it's fun to play in, in the trope world. And I like to keep poking at the tropes and re-examining them, asking questions and sort of seeing how, my paranormal world can continue to evolve and bringing in characters that I've worked with before. So those who are familiar with my work will see familiar faces, but those who are coming into this new, it's a completely different construct with my ghost precinct. The premise being that I have a group of uh, a psychic girl gang of four young women who are (laughs) my ghost precinct operatives and they are sort of this secret branch of investigators that aren't very public about what they do because spiritualism then and now was dogged with a lot of uh, frauds and conspiracies and and people who didn't believe. They might like the show of spiritualism, but they weren't sure that it was actually a sound science or anything. So my girls are working in secret, but they're responding to – strange crime in New York that has a supernatural bent that has been ignored by traditional investigation channels, usually involving women and children and also people who are not high up on the social scale. In New York, you know, the haves and the have-nots, it's a real thing. So my characters uh, will try to look out for the little guy and and try to – pursue justice for those who have not been listened to or not been heard because they might not have the means for it. So um, it's been a neat way to talk about New York as this vibrant place, but also a place of struggle too. And, and I can kind of lift some of that, um, lift some of that up so that it feels accessible to people because a lot of those struggles are still in play. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. So, you you mentioned you were you were you were thinking about doing like uh like little novellas of your like mm-hmm. how how would that look would that would that tie directly into would this be like continuing uh 
like cases? How 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 would yeah. you do that? Basically, what I realized is I'd kind of written myself into a bit of a, a wall at the end of this book because the very next thing that has to happen, um, you know, spoiler alert, they catch the bad guy and they arrest the bad guy. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, which, again, I, I write happy ending stories, so you're going to get some resolution. At the end of each of the, third, of the three books, there is resolution of one of the main branches of a mystery that's been happening so you won't get everything resolved in the first book the spectral city sorry you're going to have to bear with me for the three books to get all of the mysteries solved but at the end of this the next step is a trial and i i love reading trial books but i am not good Mm -hmm. at writing trial books i have tried (laughs) and i and it's not good i i turn to anne perry and other great mystery novelists for that kind of stuff I oh, I need people running around flailing a lot. So um, <laughs> a trial book is would be the next follow-on if I were to keep in the heroine's perspective. So what I need to do is to shift to one of my ghosts' perspective and have them oh. be out basically in the field while my main character in this series is on the stand trying to lift up her experiences as a medium in a courtroom proceedings. But that's sort of a B plot in, in how I want to re-envision it right. so that I can still stay tethered to action with the side characters that are then thrown into the field while the manager is on the stand. Nice. 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 Very good um, idea. And, you know, I think, I think that sounds great. I didn't, I wasn't thinking in terms of ghosts, but yeah, that's, that's, that, that could be a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure curious. You're, you're kind of a, you're you're a ghost lover as we are. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. True, you know, true, uh, allegedly true, whatever, or fictional. What is your favorite ghost story, or who is your favorite ghost? Um, experiences that I had while being a tour guide that really stick with me. And one of them is at the Merchant's House, which is um, this beautiful 19th-century property that was in the hands of a woman who was born and died in the same room 93 years apart. She was born in the 1840s, and she lived until the 1930s. And she, she mm. stayed in that house, and she kept the house, and I quote here, exactly uh. as Papa would have liked it, and so it's this wow. eerie time capsule from the 1870s, and it was a middle-class wow. family. So there's no, there's nothing else that still stands that's extant from this time period that replicates uh, a middle-class New York life from the 1870s. So it was this fascinating sort of quirk of history that it became a museum in the 1930s, but it was a very close call. I was taking a tour inside trying to learn more about this house, and mm-hmm. I heard the docent talk about how close we were as a city of losing this. And the uh, uh, extended family member swooped in at the very last minute and bought everything in it and the house literally minutes before it was going to go get all sold off for auction. And we would have uh. not had this incredible thing. So here's me as this history lover who has based a lot of my own middle-class houses, uh, row houses in New York in my books. I've based a lot of my stuff on the layout of this particular house because it's a direct parallel to, you know, a working merchant class family. And that was Mm -hmm. very helpful for me. So, you know, I feel very invested in this. And so I blurt out, 
in the middle of the tour. Oh, thank God it was saved. And as I make this exclamation of, of, you know, of love for this house, I feel an ice-cold hand grab my elbow and squeeze. It was fond. It was a fond gesture. And you know how sometimes when something weird happens and you don't know Mm -hmm. why you have a sentimental moment, but there, I uh-huh. felt this wash of sentiment, of camaraderie, of welcome, of a wow. kindred spirit that was like, oh, we're so glad that you love this place as much as we do and are glad Aww. you're visiting it because you appreciate it. I could like, I didn't hear any of this, but I felt it in this touch that was not uh-huh. a living touch. I mean, I was with my dear friend, Amanda, who has admittedly bad circulation, but it was not her hand. Um, <laughs> because she, I thought it was at first, but I turned and it was just this, you know, this beautiful red velvet satiner of the room and no one was there. Just an incredibly cold chill, 30, 40 degrees difference in my body temperature. That's not a wow. normal moment. And so right. I explained after the tour because I, I, after my outburst, um, you know, I went very quiet after that, after that moment, after that touch. Um, and after the fact, I went up to the docent and I said, I, I honestly, after my outburst, uh, you know, my apologies, but I get carried away in these things. Um, uh, I felt this touch on my, on my elbow and the docent chuckled and she said, well, you were standing in their favorite spot. The ghosts love that corner oh. of the parlor. That's where they entertain. Oh, wow. So it was oh, a lovely moment where the, the docents just chuckle because it's such a haunted house. Um, when you have somebody that lived there for 93 years, Gertrude Treadwell right. of that house is absolutely there. And I don't know if it's the house remembering her or she's remembering the house, mm-hmm. but the presences there are completely entwined with the place. And so that's oh, probably one of my favorite moments. My wow. other quick moment. Why? Do I do I have yeah. time to share one other short story? With absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I was standing in front of 116 Waverly Place. Now this is just off of Washington Square Park and it is where Edgar Allan Poe read The Raven Aloud for the first time in probably mm. 19 18 sorry 1839 probably right before it was published in 1840. And he read it aloud at this salon that um, was held at 116 Waverly. And I was waxing rhapsodic. Those of you who know me or have ever spoken to me for five minutes know how much I love Edgar Allan Poe. He is my mm-hmm. literary boyfriend. He is my North Star. He is my guide <laughs> light. And so I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, you know, going on and on and on about Poe standing on the steps of this row house. And the columns on either side of me are very shiny. And so one of my guests on my tour was taking a picture. And you know when there's that pre-picture light that goes on that's like a red-eye correction filter that happens in traditional cameras? In -hmm. that glow, she took this picture, and the flash did not go off, but the glow had gone off. And then she, as I kept talking, she looked at the viewfinder, and then she screamed. And then, okay, everybody stopped, and we all looked at her, and she couldn't even speak. She points at the viewfinder. She points at me, and then everyone crowds around. And I swear to you, in that sort of hazy red glow 
that reflected off of the polished marble column directly to my left was a face reflected in shadow in that reflection, and it was Edgar Allan Poe's face. Wow. I, I absolutely <laughs> was not. I, I'm, and honestly, I had to have other people on the tour verify for me that I wasn't just, you know, seeing things. Um, right. but it was really such a distinct, and, he, and that's what I, that's what I said to my tour. I said, my boyfriend came to visit me. He heard my love of him. He was summoned by my love. And, you know, they were just wow. And what was so wild is that, um, I, I like demanded and begged and pleaded for this woman to send me the picture. She never sent it to me. And I can only think that maybe it didn't end up saving to her advice because that happens a lot where something will be captured. Yeah. And then it's just not there. But we all saw it because I, you know, I, I said, you all got to back me up because no one's going to believe this. It, you know, and they're like, right. no, that's, that's not safe. And I was wearing an Edgar Allan Poe cam, uh, a picture of him in a locket around my neck. I mean, this, I am hardcore. And, and so it's like you they can verify. Oh, that is, that is, that was Edgar's face. I mean, it's, it's such a distinct look. That iconic portrait of him is so distinct. Mm-hmm. So if you've got this sort of tussled, yeah. black-haired, tussled, sad-eyed, mustachioed man um, reflected in, you know, in your uh, – in the column of that building, it was a, a wild experience. Amazing. And I, I wish I had proof to show you, but you're going to have to take my word for it. <laughs> wow. Well, we believe you. We believe you. You we are do. truly uh, his, yeah. his, 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 his girlfriend. So that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. we, <laughs> we, are, we, are, <laughs> we are out of time, but before we mm-hmm. let you go, um, just a reminder, uh, A Summoning of Spirits is, is the latest entry, and it's from the Spectral City uh, series by Leanna Renee, Renee Heber. And can you tell us uh, where our listeners can find this and um, whatever, whatever other work that uh, you have out there? Yeah, so uh, LeannaReneeHeber.com, uh, all three of my names.com. And if you look up, if you just Google the Spectral City series, all three books will come up. A Summoning of Souls just released on this Tuesday. And if you'd like a signed copy, you can support a wonderful local independent bookstore called Word in Brooklyn. Um, and you can find links to that on all of my sites. I'm very, very active on Twitter at Leanna Renee. I'm also on Instagram at all three of my names. So uh, I'm across all the social medias, and you'll find the Spectral City just by Googling it. And then please support a local independent bookstore if you're able to right now, especially during um, the pandemic. Local independent bookstores are hurting. So if you're able to yeah. um, call up your local and, and have them order in a copy, you're supporting um, a wonderful local business uh, that, that really needs help to stay open during all of this. And I appreciate the time. Excellent. Uh, Absolutely, and you know, not to leave everybody hanging, but the next time we have you on, I would like, I didn't know you were so uh, uh, big on Edgar Allan Poe, so the next time we have you on, I want to talk about your thoughts on his death, I I would love to hear your theories on that. I have so many thoughts, I have (laughs) so many thoughts. I knew you would, I knew you would, so the next time you come on, we're going to talk about that, how's that? 
That sounds amazing because yeah. I right. have opinions with a capital O. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. It is it is a pleasure as always. Um, <laughs> thank you for being on, and thank you, everybody, yeah. for joining us. Uh, this is Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live, and until next week, we wish you haunted nights. And sweet screams. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.